to you by Barfoot and Thompson. On the show today, we're looking at some of the best bits from our episodes with Chris Bishop from National Party and Brooke Van Velden from the ACT Party. Welcome to Property Matters. Welcome along to another Monday. It seems really strange today because I'm sitting on the other side of the desk because I've got a young intern, Adam, who's worked on and off with us during uh, lockdown and times when the studio was moving, creating our online shows. And he's working the desk today, so I feel a little bit strange sitting on the other side, but uh, hopefully he's listening to the levels and doing everything he needs to do. And today we're going to have a little look back at the best bits from when we had Chris Bishop on from National Party and Brooke Van Velden from the ACT Party because it's election time and we got so much feedback around those episodes. We thought it would be a good chance to just sort of check in with some of the key questions we asked and have a listen when we put the two together. Um, But a few other bits of information that has also come through in the latest media releases courtesy of the New Zealand Property Investors uh, Federation. One thing that caught our attention was the online tool Vote Compass, which revealed 47% of people aged 18 to 29 strongly agree with rent limits being imposed, while 31% somewhat agree with the policy. This compares to the Vote Compass showing 40% of people aged 30 to 39 strongly agree with rent limits being put in place, as well as 37% of voters age 40 to 49 and just under a third of people in both the 50 to 64 and 65 age groups. Both National and ACT have announced policies to restore mortgage interest being tax deductible for landlords. National has also announced it will restore the ability for landlords to evict tenants with 90 days notice without giving a reason and end the automatic rollover of fixed term tenancies to ongoing periodic tenancies. So that's quite important when you listen to some of the questions we talk about because this was recorded a few weeks ago so they've moved on that stance and I know for many of the property managers that listen into our show that's a biggie we talked about the fact that that 90 day notice without reason a helps a property manager or a private landlord move someone on where it doesn't feel safe to keep them there where you know getting the neighbors to sort of complain about them etc is causing some safety issues but as both our politicians also said, for somebody that needs to prove themselves, say they've got a a criminal past or a credit blip in their life, the 90-day rule means a landlord can also take a risk and go, okay, you deserve a second chance, let's give it a go. So really pleased to see that's happening. Uh, Labour, Māori Party and Greens have not yet announced any rent-specific policies at this stage uh, when we went to air. So very, very interesting. Now, The first thing we're going to listen to with Chris and Brooke is the question around regulation. So I asked our guests over the last few years, the rental tenancy space has seen a lot of regulation changes. Some of the biggest being around healthy homes and removing the no reason 90 day end of tenancy that we just talked about. So where did they see it heading in the future? Now remember it was a few weeks ago, but there's some interesting comments. I then asked, where do they stand on regulation? Do they believe the rental space needs to be regulated? and properties managed by licensed and qualified property managers. Here's their answers. Let's take a listen. Yeah, I think that, look, the current government's had a, 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 what I would 
classify as a war on mum and dad landlords mm. um, and they don't really realise that or at least they don't seem to realise that uh, if you make life harder for landlords that just flows through to tenants at the end of the day so um, we've committed to four big changes to the residential tenancies regime and, and the wider um, tenancy landscape which I think will make a difference and add some balance back to the rental market the first is bringing back interestability for rental properties uh, that, that's backfired very badly on the government. You know, they were told it would put pressure on rents. They were told it would put pressure on the state house waiting list, and they did it anyway. And um, you know, it's backfired. Rents are up 170 bucks a week on average. So we will bring back interest deductibility. That's very important. We'll also take the bright line test back down to two years. Labor never campaigned on extending it to 10 years. Um, so that's a broken promise. In fact, they explicitly said they wouldn't do it. Um, it's a capital gains tax. And you know, by stealth, um, so we'll take it back down to two years. Uh, thirdly, we will um, reinstate 90 day notices. Um, so no cause terminations. Um, now, I've got a bit of grief for that from people saying, oh, you know, this is going to lead to rental insecurity and things like that. But the reality is, um, landlords don't kick out good tenants. No. What, what it does do is provide a backstop for the for the tenants that don't work out. And I've had a, a number of um, people who work with. Uh, vulnerable tenants, mm. homeless charities for example, who've said to me, look, one thing you really could do to make it easier for some of our more vulnerable tenants to get into the rental property market is mm. bring back the 90 day rule because it will mean that landlords will take a chance on, yeah. on tenants. Um, so we're going to do that. And then the fourth thing we've committed to is this slightly niche but still important change around the mandatory rollover of fixed term tenancies into periodic tenancies which has caused chaos in a market like Queenstown for example where you've just seen landlords just exit the market because it's just too hard to do short term tenancies mm-hmm. and so as a result they just left the market um, put their places on Airbnb and now we've got people sleeping in tents in Queenstown well you know probably one in five homes are unoccupied it's just crazy mm. Four very good changes there. And interesting, your 90-day one matches uh, what Brooke and I were chatting about last week from the App Party because my focus of so many guests on the show has been property managers and people in that industry. And when they talk about the 90-day rule, the biggest thing for them is actually safety. They need the ability to safely get someone out without having to have all the neighbourly disputes and all the, the council cases and things. But Brooke and yourself have both raised the other side of that coin, the, coin, the vulnerable person who actually says, give me a chance, let me prove you got the safety of getting me out in 90 days if I don't prove it, but I need a second chance. Yeah, it's like the 90-day um, trial periods you know, yeah. for, for, for yeah. employees. Um, I, I see that as the biggest benefit biggest, biggest benefit of it, um, and that mm. is why I want to do it. Um, I, I, do, I do see it as providing more options for, um, for tenants to get into the market. Um, the reality is... Uh, the, you know, people who've left prison, for example, people with bad credit histories, people mm. with bad debts, they, they struggle. Yeah, you know, they struggle. And, and even if you know landlords with the best will in the world wants to take a chance on someone, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, they've got to have a, a backstop there, which is what the ninety day mm. rule provides. So, yep, we're going to bring it back, and um, we're committed to that. So where do you stand then on regulation of the industry and the property management space? Do you believe the rental space needs to be regulated and properties managed by licensed and qualified property managers? Yeah, government's got a discussion document out on that and sort of indicated that's where the direction they want to go. Look, we're, I don't have a fixed view on it. Um, we're, we're not a party that regulates for the sake of it. Um, you know, we want to reduce regulation in New Zealand, not add to more of it. Um, so I've got a, I don't have a fixed view on it. Um, kind of keen to see where the discussion goes. Um, we'll examine, you know, the proposals and, and see, see where it lands, but we're not making a commitment to do it. Okay. You're going to listen to the people working in that space? Yeah. Yeah, with the Residential Tenancy Act, look, I've heard from a lot of people on this that they do want change. Um, 
and I've, I've listened and I think the right thing to do is to make amendments and change. Um, the first thing I think that has to go is the 90-day um, no-cause termination. Um, I've heard from a lot of people who are landlords who said, look, because I know that I can't get rid of someone if it didn't work out, that doesn't give me faith that I should take on somebody mm. that I'm not sure yeah. of. Um, and so you're having some homes being left vacant because people are thinking I'm, I'm not willing to take a chance mm. on someone. But I've also had other alternatives, which is, you know, people who've actually contacted me with criminal convictions and said, can you please get rid of this? Because I can't get a home. Mm. But at least I could come on and prove myself. That's right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they've said, look, it's really difficult for me because I know any time I go and look for a home, I'm going to go right to the bottom of the list. Yep. And there's going to be a lot of people wanting that home. And I've got a blank mark against mm. my name. And if they knew and and the landlord knew, look, I can, get, I can take a chance yep. on this person, but... If the walls end up getting broken or things get smashed, I can I can move them out. Everyone would be happier. Mm. But instead, that was a law that was created to try and help the vulnerable people, and yet vulnerable people are saying this has made it, it harder. Um, yeah, and it's a really nice angle to come from because on this show we've had a number of property man- managers over the last year come from the other angle of feeling unsafe because they haven't got that ability to move someone out mm. without providing a whole lot of detail, getting the neighbours involved, getting etc. Which which has created some safety issues. Yep. But it was nice there to hear the, the switch from the other angle as well yep. because some of the property managers feel it needs to go to bring back their safety. Yeah, I think everybody realises that this law had a good intention. I mean, mm. let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it hasn't worked in practice. And when you think of this guy with this criminal conviction, unable to actually get a rental, it makes so much more sense why we have a huge waiting list for Kaingora homes mm. and for emergency housing. Because where else do you go? Mm. Mm. You know, yeah. the government is creating a whole class of people that are unable to get into rental accommodation because they might have something on their name uh, that makes them less desirable for a landlord to take a chance. Mm. So where do you stand then on regulation? So do you believe the rental space needs to be regulated and properties managed by licensed and qualified property managers? No, look, I, I disagree with that. I think this is a solution to a problem that doesn't really exist. Um, the the government's always looking for ways to create another level of bureaucracy, I guess. But from from my standpoint, I look at this and say, if we've got problems with landlords, the best thing that you can do, bearing in mind it's probably a very small pool, is to make sure that we have enough homes to go around for everybody. Now, if we have homes for everybody and you've actually got landlords trying to bring people into properties, you're going to make sure that that property is as good as you can get so that you can hold on to a tenant and you can hold on to a good tenant. At the moment, um, because we don't have enough rentals to actually go around for everyone, sure, there are going to be some people who will take advantage of that. Mm. Um, And I'm sure there are, but it doesn't mean we have to make it 
overly bureaucratic for sure. everybody because of a couple of bad eggs. Yeah, I guess people, you know, would look at regulation too for covering things like, you know, the dodgy landlord that's taken off with the bond and, you know, the need to have good trust accounting in place so that we're protecting investors' assets. So perhaps mm-hmm. the broader picture, but whether that needs full regulation or, or better policing, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'd say let's use the tenancy tribunal. Um, and for a lot of cases, that seems to be working for people. And where it's not, maybe there could be some tweaks to the tenancy tribunal. Um, but I don't see the need for a whole new bureaucratic regime. Now, next part of the show, we look at our most vulnerable, which timed well as close to 25,000 applicants are on the social housing wait list. Housing Minister Megan Wood said on Sunday, regions such as Bay of Plenty and East Coast would be getting extra homes to those announced in the 2023 budget. She said the update has a particular focus on increasing public housing in the regions compared to major metropolitan centres, which have seen strong public housing delivery to date. She says we're on track to provide the 21,000 public and transitional homes we've funded by 2025. Despite that impressive number, the social housing wait list has continued to balloon since Labor came into power in 2017 and at recent counting is close to 25,000 applicants long. So I asked both Chris Bishop and Brooke Van Velden, and, and I should preface that we invited our Labor Greens and Māori Party on the show as well. Labor and uh, Māori Party to Declined Greens we never heard back from. But we did ask Chris and Brooke, how will your party's policies help our most vulnerable struggling to get into a rental property? Yeah, well, it it is a big problem. Mm. I mean, there's, uh, not there's just no one magic thing. wand on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's not just one thing. I mean, if I could do the, the best thing to help people who can't afford a home or afford a rental, it would be to stop government wasteful spending because that's driving up inflation because we've got so much money going around, sloshing around the economy and it's driving up the price of everything because we're not producing anything more. That's why inflation's gone so high and it means that if you're somebody who is just, you know, living week to week, that cost has gone up week to week and it's harder and harder. So the first thing that we can do to make housing affordable is stop government waste to stop rising levels of inflation so that prices stop going up. That's the first thing that we've got to do, right. Then you've got to think, well, why is it that homes are so expensive for people? Well, it's because there aren't enough to go around. You know, it's about supply and demand. If you have few homes then you can command a really high price for them because you've got so many people wanting them. So we want to build more homes and allow for more rentals. I think what's happened over the past few years has made it less desirable for someone to invest in rentals um, because you've got divisive policies coming out of the government where it's essentially, you know, people are being told you're a bad person if you're a landlord. Uh, You've got the interest deductibility limitations um, and then you've got the bright line test extensions um, I mean the list goes on the, the residential tenancy act changes um, and I know that they tried to make a carve out to say we still want landlords to invest in new builds so we'll have that interest deductibility just for the new builds but if you've got laws changing all the time 
you don't have certainty mm. about what's actually happening. Um, so I do want to give landlords certainty and say, it's actually okay, thank you for doing what you do yeah. and for giving more homes to people. Um, but we do want more homes to be built, not just for first-time buyers, but for people who rent as well. Because it's not just a and or. You, you've got to have a range of homes for any stage of someone's life. Mm. Um, so part of bringing down those costs are making it easier to build um, with a building materials equivalence register. So that's about the materials you use to build a home. We've seen the price of materials go through the roof in recent years because we don't have enough competition for what materials are even being used to build the homes. And I want to see more companies from overseas able to come into New Zealand, um, our products to be used, and that would drive down the price of a lot of materials. I mean, jib is the classic mm. example that everyone knows about, um, but there are other ones, different types of timber, different types of in- insulation from companies that I know would love to come into the New Zealand market, but it's just so difficult. Mm. So if we can bring those in, we can drop that price, make it more affordable when you're buying a home, and that means your landlord's going to have a lower mortgage and a lower flow-on cost. Um, then it's about how do you get councils to actually want people to build? Yep. Now, I've talked to builders who've said it takes longer for them to get the consent than it does to actually build the house. Mm. And I think it's because councils know that they don't actually want more homes because it costs them money. Every time a new home goes in, they've got to try and figure out how they connect that home to the community with adequate infrastructure. And our councils and councillors are quite cash-strapped. You know, they're always doing that balancing act of either raising debt or raising the rates bills, which is never popular for anybody. definitely not, no. (laughs) And so I've said, let's incentivise councils to want to build in their own backyards by giving them money. Mm. And it's called my GST sharing bill. I had it in Parliament this year. And it says every time a new home goes in, half of the GST cost on construction goes off to the local council that issues the consent. That is wordy, but in effect, (laughs) it means every time a new home goes in, the council gets funding for infrastructure. And I think that would incentivise councils to say, hey, instead of us bearing the costs of new development, it's us saying, thanks so much, Mm. now we can get on and build and plan for a bigger city. And I think you'd end up with councils wanting you to build because they know that they get funding for it. And on my estimates, that's around $1.4 billion a year to local councils. So that would help for sewerage, Mm. stormwater, pipes, road maintenance, infrastructure that's basically needed for the community. And we know it's not there at the moment. Biggest thing is putting downward pressure on rents, right? So rents are up 170 bucks a week uh, on average around the country in the last six years. And in my place of lower hearts, so looking at the numbers this morning, $250 a week rental increases wow. um, in the last six years. You know, I mean, that, that is a big driver of the cost of living, a big contributor to the, the cost of living crisis that we're having uh, at the moment. And so we need to build more houses. You know, the best thing we can do for, for tenants um, is to get a house building bonanza uh, going around the country so that we put downward pressure on rents uh, and make sure that we can house um, house people in need. Um, you know, the, the people, a lot of people don't understand that the, you know, the social housing waiting list, which is the list of people who are, 
assessed by the government as an urgent and severe need of housing uh, is 25, 24,000 families long. Um, and the reason it's so long is that rents are up so much. Mm. Um, so the way in which you get on the wait list is by rocking up to MSD and saying, I can't afford the private rental market. So the best thing we can do to get the wait list for social housing down is put downward pressure on rents. Um, and so that that is the best thing um, we can do. And then, of course... Um, in terms of home ownership, you know, that's at record lows in New Zealand, now down to about 64%, um, very, very low. Uh, we need to do a much better job of getting people into homes, and that means making housing more affordable. You know, our houses are some of the most expensive in the developed world, even though they've come back a bit, or a lot actually, uh, from the highs of kind of mid-2021. Uh, they're still extremely expensive by international standards, and you know, it just shouldn't take someone nine times their average household income to buy a house in New Zealand. We're, we're not a country that's short of land. We've plenty of land in New Zealand. Um, the, the issue is, is restrictive planning rules that have stopped our cities from growing, and so we're very focused on, on changing that. Now, the Herald on Sunday reported last week that Leanne Miller was given four hours' notice to leave the relocatable home she owned, which was on site that she leased from the Queen Street Holiday Park in Richmond near Nelson. The action has highlighted what one lawyer says appears at first blush to be a gap in the law for people who live in campgrounds. The government says it has no plans to change it. While the Residential Tenancies Act was amended in 2019 to boost protection for people to make shift for in makeshift accommodation, but relocatable homes remained excluded from the updated law. A spokesperson for the Associate Housing Minister, Barbara Edmonds, told NZME that the government was not currently considering amending the Residential Tenancy Act to cover these matters. Now, that more and more people are requesting, even in a rental space, to have the relocatable homes put onto properties for extended family, etc. This all links back, of course, to our shortage of homes and the magic word of Kiwi Build. So I asked our two guests, what are your thoughts on the Kiwi Build journey and where would you take it next under your leadership? And this is what they Dare think. I ask this question, the swear word in the room, what's your thoughts on Kiwi Build? <laughs> and that journey. Well, and it's been a disaster, hasn't it? Yeah, where would you take it under your leadership? Well, we would be gone. I mean, it's a disaster. It has never worked. It never was going to work. 100,000 homes, they've built 2,000. I mean, it's a joke, isn't it? I mean, it's like a byword for incompetence. It's like a lot of things this government kind of came to power saying they would do, you know, light rail is another example. That was meant to be built by 2021, right? And, you know, not a single metre of track has been laid down. Simeon Brown's kids have built more um, train tracks than um, than Megan Woods and, and, and the Phil Twyford and the government um, when it comes to light rail. So it's another one of these kind of big, bold visions that's just never turned into reality and, and Kiwi Build's been a joke and we'll get rid of it. <laughs> Surely you know my thoughts Kiwi Where would you take it then under your leadership? I don't think Kiwi Build should exist. Um, I don't actually think the government itself has a role in building projects. Um, what does any government department know about building homes more than a private developer or a mum and dad who are building their own home? The answer is nothing. Mm. You know, they're just a collection of people like anyone else who have created their own form of building company, which has been doing really poorly. And if this, you know, Kiwi Build or this building company existed on the open market, I mean, no one would buy yeah. off them because they've been doing so badly. And in effect, they've just been buying up other private developments to get homes built. Uh, so I don't actually think they should exist. By existing, they have driven up the price of land. 
um, because I, I've had conversations with people who've said that they've gone along to auctions and Kaianga Aura just comes along the top and offers the highest sum of money because they've got an open checkbook with the taxpayer's money. You know, it's not actually their own money, so they're not using it responsibly. Yeah. And it means they can come over the top of anybody else who is wanting to buy a new build and just say, we'll offer a couple of thousand more. And all of a sudden, you've just inflated the price of that house. So, no, I think it has to go. Now, of course, a lot of talk there around Kiwi build, but what about a first home buyer? And in New Zealand, we know that that has been a struggle, especially in our biggest cities, uh, Auckland in particular. So we unpacked that conversation around first home buyers. Yeah, I mean, part of it is looking into that um, triple CFA. Um, and we, we've said that we would, we're open to amending it and walking parts of it back because my understanding is that with the triple CFA changes that happened in the last term of government, um, there are now banks unable to have loans with clients that they've had relationships with for years who have always paid um, any loans that they've had, Mm. unable to now get finance. Um, because they have to look into things like, do you have a Netflix account? Mm. How much do you spend on your cat food? Um, how much do you spend on your Ubers every week? Rather than looking at the larger picture. That they're actually paying a ridiculous that, price to live <laughs> and a rental in Auckland anyway. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And have they actually managed to pay their rent every week? Mm, yep. Mm. And maybe they've done it for a whole decade, but that's not good enough for the government's mm. regulations anymore. Um, so I think we've got to walk that, that back okay. because it's actually stopping people being able to get finance, even if they can afford it. Um, and then, I mean, part of it really is just about building more homes. Um, and one of the reasons I think it, it is quite difficult for people to get uh, finance at the moment is the mortgage rates are really expensive. That's not something you can fix overnight, but it does actually go back to government. The reason mortgage rates are so high is because the government has been spending up large, increasing inflation, and Adrian Orr, sitting over at the Reserve Bank, he's got a goal to try and keep inflation between 1% and 3%. Um, his lever is to put up the OCR, and in effect, that puts up everybody's mortgage rate. So if we go step by step backwards, you think, okay, well... How do we get the OCR to come down? How do we get the mortgage rates to come down? Well, it all flows back to government expenditure. So we've said in our Act Party alternative budget, we've we've got to go line by line through everything that the government is spending and ask it to justify itself. If we weren't spending money on this particular project today, would we spend money on it tomorrow? Mm. And it's actually amazing. You have successive governments get in and they talk a big talk and then nothing changes. Mm. And we've had projects that have wasted like a million bucks, two million bucks year on year and no one sits down and thinks, are we getting any value for this? Why are we still doing this? Mm. You know, entire ministries that you go, what have you actually produced lately? Are you bigger than you need to be? Why were you employing so many people? What have you actually been working on? And before you know it, you can find billions of dollars that you could cut, give more money into people's own back pockets, and actually reduce that inflationary pressure. 
We've got plans to improve the affordability for sure. I mean, as I said before, you know, we have some of the most expensive houses in the developed world, and um, it doesn't have to be like that. Those are that is the result of conscious political decisions made over many years around stopping our cities from growing. So, in Auckland and Wellington, you know, the councils and supported in some cases by central government have actively stopped the cities from growing so um, we need to go out at the edge of our major cities Auckland and Wellington um, we also need to go up and it's not one or t'other you know sometimes people yeah. say oh we just yeah. need more density we need more, more greenfields we can't do greenfields it's bad for the environment blah 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 um, or you get people who go I don't want any density whatsoever we just need to do greenfields and just constant urban sprawl and just the city just grow 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 and take up all the farmland um, the answer is a bit of both so we need what we need is competitive urban land markets what we've done at the moment is drawn us ring around Auckland and said you can't grow beyond the ring um, and as a result the um, average section price inside the urban limit is vastly inflated in comparison to the average section price outside um, the limit um, that is artificial though that, that that value is just completely artificially generated and sad to say the council current Auckland council is doubling down on that at the moment through this future development strategy uh, which is all about all designed to essentially make it much harder to do more greenfields we need more greenfields housing in Auckland we also need more density uh, and you know we need um, Apartments above train stations. We need more townhouses. We need more terraced housing. Uh, but we also, you know, do need to build more um, suburban housing at the edge of Auckland. Mm. Uh, and we shouldn't be afraid about that. You know, we've got to get home ownership more affordable in New Zealand. Uh, we asked a couple of weeks ago for our listeners to send in questions. We're actually quite surprised at how many young listeners mm. wrote in. And Armani, who's in his early twenties, says, "Why is the deposit average twenty percent? Can the government force that this be lowered and fewer restrictions so the first home buyer can have more freedom from the banks and afford a home?" Yeah, I mean. Um that's all set by the Reserve Bank, so it's a little bit outside central government um, control. Um, I mean, the, the number one thing we can do to help it help um, young people get into a depo- get a deposit together is reduce land prices, which are driving up um, house prices. Um, and so, I want um, housing to become more affordable over time um, by um, you know stopping the artificially inflated supply of land that drives up house prices um, and that will make a difference over time as well but there's, there's not a lot I can do about the, the sort of 20% deposit rules um, but we, we are very focused on making housing more affordable. I hope you're enjoying our little best bits from our two political leaders when it comes to housing. And one thing I did ask was for audience members to come in with different questions. And I was really impressed, especially by ones from Amani and Joseph, that looked at the financial pressures. And they posed a pretty tough question. So another question we got in was from a young guy called Joseph. Now, this is a bit of a tough question, and we and we did put it to Brooke last week as well. People make the unfortunate decision to take their lives when they've lost hope. Do you think that financial tension, predominantly from high house prices, interest rates, rental issues, is having a direct correlation with depression and anxiety? 
Look, I'm not a clinical expert, um, so I, I don't want to speculate on the, you know, the, what the, the evidence shows. But all I can do is talk generally and say, you know, I suspect the answer is yes, right? Like if you're a young person in your twenties and your rent keeps going up and you're staring at the, um, a housing market that you, you just can't get into, then yeah, life is bloody tough. And you know, you've got inflation at six percent; it's three times what it should be. It's meant to be between one and three percent. Inflation's six percent. Um, wages are not keeping up with inflation as well. So so um, people aren't getting pay rises that account for the inflation uh, on average. Uh, so, you know, life is hard. You know, food prices up 12% last year, you know, highest on, highest on record. Life is really hard. You know, cost of living crisis is really biting people really hard. And if you do manage to pull a deposit together and, and get into a, a home in your 20s and 30s, um, you're now staring at interest rates that are... You know, again, much, much higher than anyone forecast, you know, three, four years ago. So I, I get contacted probably daily by people who say, you know, look, I was on a fixed rate of 2.5, 2.7, 2. whatever, you know, below three or around three. Mm. Um, now I'm staring at, re- at refixing, um, you know, at, at six, mm. six and a half, seven. Uh, it's a nightmare. You know, people paying thousands of dollars more per week or, or um, fortnightly or monthly in interest payments. So, you know, I think it is really, really hard and... You know, I, I do think it's probably also a driver of uh, migration out of New Zealand. You know, if you're in your twenties and thirties, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of push factors out of New Zealand, um, a lot of pull factors from places like Australia. But one of the push factors would be high house prices and the and the you know, the rental market really really crunching people. Mm. So yeah, it's a, another reason why we've got to get housing under control. It's a tough question from Joseph, and an interesting link. That is a tough question and a really sad mm. question. Look. I think there are a lot of young people who who don't have hope um, because it's really hard to get ahead and it's hard to aspire for something when you feel like you're going backwards mm. every week. So I do get that. And I also hear from a lot of younger people who say, it is getting so tough in New Zealand, I'm just going to move to Australia. Mm. Um you know, I met uh, about a year ago a man who stuck in my mind because he, he said it with so much conviction and passion and he said, I'm in my 30s now and I just feel so hopeless because I don't think I'll ever be able to own my own home. And I've met young women when I've been out door knocking who, for whatever reason, open up to me, maybe because demographically I'm yep. quite similar, but they say, look, I am in my early 30s now and I'm making a conscious choice to not have children because I don't want to raise children if I don't have a home yet because wow. I want to give them stability. And it's a really unfortunate reality that people are facing. Do I have a child in a rental where I might not be able to afford or keep my child stable year on year? I'm not sure about it. Or do I wait and hold off having a family? because I actually do want to provide, in a pretty traditional sense, a home with stability for my kids. And I just don't think it's a choice that anybody should have to make. So, yes, I do think there's a lot of of feeling of angst and hopelessness out there. Of course, that's not all tied back to housing. No. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into anything that, that people are, you know, having mental health issues about. But certainly we have to have to solve this housing problem and get housing to be more affordable and achievable for everybody so that people can have stability for their kids. Mm. You're not making that trade-off because I don't think it's right. 
And our final question that we're going to listen to tonight is I ask slightly different questions of both guests. I ask what sort of motivates them or how quick we will see the changes that they've talked about in the interviews be implemented. Because, of course, we all go to the polls, we vote, we want to see this instant change. But the wheels of power do take a little while to turn. So this is what they said. For me, you know, I I do see myself as an advocate. I really enjoy meeting people and and taking on board their stories and trying to figure out how do we solve this person's problem. Um, For me, one thing I'm taking to the election is the need for safety. Mm. Our streets are not safe. It doesn't matter where I go, people are not safe. I've met parents who don't feel like they can have their kids leave the house Um, but I've also been door knocking and met really fearful people Mm. because they don't even feel safe in their own homes anymore Um, really tragically I've had a woman um, burst into tears on me who was a shop owner and she said I'm actually really scared because both of the shops on either side have been ram raided and it's just a matter of time and I can't even imagine how horrible it is to wake up every morning and go into an environment where you don't feel safe because you're not sure if someone's going to come in and attack you. Um, So we have to get that under control. And I don't think we have consequences for crime anymore. And we do have to make our streets safe so that our community can be there for each other. Um, And we're actually looking after not having more victims. Mm. That's what I'm taking from people. I hear that every day when I'm out door knocking. Yeah, look, I, I want to move quickly. I mean, I, I see housing as one of the most important social issues facing New Zealand. It's, it's an extremely important public policy problem and we've had 30 years of failure on housing across successive governments, including national ones, by the way. So I, I do want to move quickly. Um, you can't do everything all at once um, and, you know, I'm wary of over-promising and, and under-delivering because that's that's what this current government did, you know. Phil Twyford said he had all the answers. You know, he's going to ban Chinese-sounding names from buying property, he was going to, you know, do Kiwi build, he was going to do this and that, the other thing, and then, you know, it was all turned to custard quite quickly, actually. So I don't want to overpromise, but what I do want to make an absolute commitment um, to your listeners is to say, you know, I will work as hard as I can to, to turn this around because I do think housing is one of, if not the most important issue facing the country. It, it contributes to everything. It contributes to our cost of living. It contributes to intergenerational equity. It contributes to inequality, to social exclusion, to poverty. You know, we, you know, we spend a million dollars a day housing New Zealanders in motels. Mm. You know, 6,000 families live in motels. You know, that is a social and economic disaster. It's great for motel owners, terrible for the country. Mm. As a government, the, the, the central government spends $4 billion per year on housing subsidies. $4 billion. Bucks. You know, that is it's an enormous sum of money every year. Uh, and so it affects the Crown, it affects people, it affects families, it affects, you know, regions. There's just so many things, so many reasons to try and sort out housing and so I'm very determined to make a difference. Well, a massive thank you to Nationals Chris Bishop and Axe Brooke Van Velden for their input and support of Property Matters and coming on. We really appreciate it. A massive thank you too to Adam, our young teenager in here producing today's show. He edited all of that together and created our run sheet and has operated. So well done, Adam. Nice, he's not letting me talk to him on air tonight, but um, really impressed, so well done. Hey, coming up next week, we have the fabulous Dr. Angela Lim from Clearhead. Now, that's a really unique company that is looking at an 
employment like EAP scheme where we help our employees with mental health and well-being by a very cool online tool that also links to live therapy and um, fabulous clinicians that you can chat with. So join us next week for Dr Angela Lim. She's also supported by Monique Barker from Barfoot and Thompson Takapuna. Then the week after that, I have five amazing people in the studio to end our season, so you will have to stay tuning in. Thanks for your feedback. A big thank you to Omar, who sent the most beautiful email to start my day about how he's loved our last episode. Keep them coming. Email us, propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz. If you're driving on the roads, travel safe home tonight. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple or Samsung Podcasts or iHeartRadio, thanks for tuning in. Have a great week. I'm Stephen Dallow. Catch you next week.